0: We're in Colossians 3, 1 through 12. 3, 1 through 12. Yes, I said it right. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires and greed which is idolatry because of these the wrath of god is coming you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived but now you must also rid yourself of all these things as all such things as these anger rage malice slander and filthy language from your lips do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the Im- in knowledge in the image of its creator here there is no gentile or jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave or free but christ is all and is in all therefore as god's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourself with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience praise be to god you may be seated Amen.
1: good to see all you guys top of the morning to you Cafe. Yeah, all right. Yay, we're ready. You guys are, you know, this passage, What I've had a week getting this passage ready for us this morning. It's powerful, isn't it? I mean, God's wrath, putting stuff to death, putting on the new self. I just couldn't help but feel like I had a tiger by the tail with this thing. Woo! But we're going to dive into it, and God just has so much, so much good things to say to us this morning. I can't wait. How about last week, Nick Gilmore? Can we get that picture of Nick up there? Gosh, that guy, him and his bacon? <laughs> I mean, unforgettable. That guy, I just love listening to him, and uh, he just doesn't hold back and just brings it with so much grace and humor. I love that dude. Look at him. What a stud. All right, I want to get us into this passage. It's challenging. God has so much for us, and I want to warm us up into it with a story about how I wooed my wife, okay? Here I am, I, there's this cute girl, Stacy, super attracted to, who loved to go downtown salsa dancing, and I really wanted to take her on a salsa date. Problem is, I didn't know how to salsa dance, so my roommate convinced me to take some lessons with him uh, in downtown San Diego, this old, worn-out like uh, warehouse to learn salsa. It was a Ricky Martin summer And there I was. It literally was. And there I was learning to salsa. And you know, you get in there and you see these guys and you know, just those instructors, gosh, don't you just hate them? They make it look so easy. They make it look so easy. They're just, oh, quick, quick, slow. Oh, and they're just gliding across the floor as this, the rhythmic beats of the salsa music are just coursing through the room. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, I can do that. No, I'm, I'm like I can do that. I, that looks so easy. And until uh, they they get us all lined up, and they're like, "Okay, guys, here it is, the basic step. It's just a basic, quick, quick, slow. Oh, no problem, no problem. I can do this." And what I just saw myself doing this, like, like just a goat. I just, you know, greatest of all time. I just saw myself crushing it, and it was just like so awkward. It was like quick, quick, and I'm like, what do I do with this leg again, and does it go back, and it was just a hot mess. Quick, quick, slow, three steps. How hard can it be? Three weeks just to get the basic step without any music. (laughs) I mean, that's how challenged I was. That's how challenged I was, and the basic step of Salsa is a quick, quick, slow, and it's meant to, these basic steps are meant to put you into the tempo of the, of the uh, salsa rhythm. And at first, in, when you're learning a new dance, it is awkward, it is wooden, it doesn't feel natural. Can you just say that with me? Not natural. <laughs> it's not natural. Now, you look at the instructors, they make it look like they were born out of the womb salsa dancing. Me, I just, it's painful. It was painful. They had to really earn their money. And, um, but the whole point of, of this basic step is to teach us to move in step with the rhythm of the music. And that is the metaphor I want to use today as we talk about what Paul is trying to teach us about living this new life with God, this new raised life. Dancing is going to be our metaphor because our relationship with God is a lot like a dance. There are moments when we feel like we're moving forward with God, and there's moments when it feels like we're moving back and we're not really in sync with them. And we've got to understand that both of these movements in our life, moments where we're coming to life, and we're moving forward, moment when, when it feels like we're dying and we're losing stuff, has to be a part of this dance that we do with God. And I want to just listen to what Paul, how he describes the spiritual life. And he says, Put, uh, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There it is. Dancing with the Holy Spirit, dancing with God. I'm going to use this dancing metaphor to help us understand the basic steps of living our lives coordinated to the rhythm of God's Spirit, who is bringing forth the image of God in us. Now, this is called the gospel dance. And actually, I learned it from this group that is mentoring me and a bunch of staff on how to take our disciple-making culture at our church a little deeper so that we can all learn how to make disciples of one another. They taught us this dance, and I'm gonna teach it to you. These are the steps that help us open our life to God, all right? But let's review what is this life with God. Paul talks about it in chapter three, verse 10. Look at this on the screen. He says, put on the new self, which is what? What? Being renewed. Right now, sitting in your seat, God is renewing you. If you've accepted Jesus in your life as your Savior, the Spirit of God is in you, renewing you. You may not feel it, but it is happening. God is renewing in you your true identity that was lost, but is now coming forth, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, this idea of being renewed, isn't this what we all want isn't that what we want? Haven't you ever had a moment where you felt the gap between who you want to be and who you really are right there? Have you ever been there? You know, where you find it, well, like me, in the, in that warehouse. Here I am, here's Ryan where he's at, you know, dancing with two left feet, and there's where I want to get to. Have you ever felt that in your relationships? where you find old habits, old patterns coming back, and you're like, how do I put that behind me and move forward into this new life that Jesus is calling me into? Moments where our anger flares up, insecurity, depression. These moments where this old part of us, this dark side of us, just kind of flares up, and we're like, wait a minute. God, what about this new self? we are all looking to be renewed. And the world has a lot of paths that we could choose to take towards that renewed self. And Paul wants to lay out how we do it with God, how we do it with the power of his spirit to step into this fully renewed self, how we do it with the gospel. And when we begin to follow Jesus, we sense this new life-giving force that's energizing our life with kindness and humility and love, right? But like, I don't know, everyone in this room has moments where that old self shows up and you begin to doubt that you're really going anywhere or changing as a person. Habits that we thought we had overcome come back. Or how about reactions that we thought we outgrew? I remember one time playing Xbox with my son, and I got so competitive, I got frustrated when he scored, and I just was losing the father-son moment, and I went back to my 13-year-old Ryan, who just wants to win. I'm like, what am I doing? Am I really doing this right now? I'm doing this. (laughs) I'm like, my son's like, Dad, are you okay, man? No, seriously, are you okay? I'm like, I'm okay. okay. Let me, wow. Um, Yeah, we all have reactions that come up. We all have desires that flare up that we're ashamed that if anybody ever saw those desires in us, we'd be embarrassed. Do you know that everyone in this room has moments like that? You're not alone. You know, I've had that this week, where you're like, man, where is that new self? And you start to get tempted to think it was just a sham, a lie, Maybe this God thing is not really what Jesus claimed, or maybe there's something just wrong with you. Well, look, I want to talk about how we can move with Jesus into this new self because he wants to carry us into this new self. But we have to participate with him. And so that's going to be the focus of our message, how to dance with God into this new self. We can put on the new self and be renewed by dancing these three steps with the Holy Spirit. Here we go. It is... Oh, I like the new color scheme. We can repent, then believe, and then obey. This is the basic, quick, quick, slow of the gospel dance. This is fundamental. You don't just do it once to get saved. This is what we do every day of our life. Sometimes, guys, if you're like me, seven to eight times in a day, you're just cranking it out. You're repenting. Oh, I better repent. <laughs> I gotta admit that I'm off there. You're believing again in who God is in your life, and you're obeying and putting on Christ, all right? So we're gonna start with the first, the repenting, all right? So here we go, the first step of the salsa move is the quick, your right foot, the man's right foot goes forward, the woman, right, she's over here, her foot goes back, right, so you're gonna step, step into the ball of your foot, and then your heel's gonna come down, and it's gonna do this, right, you're gonna do this, boom, and you're gonna pop your hip out. <laughs> you're just gonna throw a little flare in there, you're gonna get that little flare. Because, you know, you've got to move the hips. You're just going to, boom. And that's the first step. And that's the step of repentance. And we're going to get our hips flaring here. Look at this. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now we'll come back to this wrath But let's talk about this idea of the earthly nature, this part of us that has to be put to death. This is so confusing for us. And if we don't understand it correctly, we can feel like what God is wanting to do is put the very core, truest part of us to death. And that's not true. God does not want to annihilate or obliterate your unique personality, but there are aspects of our self that are not our true self. They're what spiritual writers have called the false self. What Paul, he, called, he has different ways of describing this earthly nature. In chapter 121, he says, this is the part of us that makes us enemies with God. In chapter 211, he, de- he describes it as the self that is ruled by the flesh. Now, the flesh, he doesn't mean your skin. He's talking about your desires, and they are disordered desires that, like cancerous growth, have gone beyond a healthy expression in our life, and they've become inordinate. They are out of control. Desires that are good and natural, that have exceeded their boundaries and are ruining our life. We are not in control of them. They are in control of us. And then in chapter 2, 18, he calls it the unspiritual mind. This is the earthly nature that is dictated and constrained by just mere human tradition when we're meant to live by the energizing power and presence of the Holy Spirit that sets us free to live out of our whole and deepest hearts. And then lastly, in chapter 3, verse 9, he calls it the old self. I like that. Because we can relate to that, right? There are, aren't there some parts, if you look back at your life, maybe even just a year ago, five years ago, you're like, I am so glad that part is back there and not here. You know what I mean? Like, you're glad you kind of just left behind some of those immature ways because it would not do well if you were bringing it with you. Maybe some old addiction, some habits. They're like, oh, thank God that I have gotten past that. We all can relate to this old new self-tension. The tension between who we've been and who we want to be. And no one has a greater vision of who you were created to be than God. So as we talk about putting stuff to death, let me be very clear. God wants to put to death everything that is substituting for the greatest expression of the glorious nature of your true identity. No one has a greater vision for your life than your Father in heaven who loves you and who died on the cross to restore his divine image in your life. Come on now, that is some vision for life. What's your vision for your life? Can it compare with that? Yeah, I want to be, I want to get promotion. Yeah, I want to get into my college. Oh, that's good. I want to get a nice house. I want to get that sweet car. Cool, good for you. Or you can be transformed into the divine image of God Come on. (laughs) Now, the earthly nature is a mindset. It's a mindset with thoughts, practices, and desires that feel so natural letting them go feels like cutting off a part of your very body, which is why Paul calls it an earthly nature. He's trying to capture the tension that we feel when God points out things in our life, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of things that need to be cut out of our life, that feel like, gosh, God, to let this go, I feel like you're asking me to cut off my own arm. Let me give you an example, my favorite example to give, because I do it every week, is when I'm wrong and I'm having to admit that I'm wrong. I was just in a conflict with my son this week. We were arguing about a pickup time and whatever. And man, I was determined to let him know he was wrong. And then he made this point, And he was kind of wrong. But there was a part that I was wrong too, which is generally the case in our conflicts, right? It Takes two to tango. And he pointed it out and, he, well, he, and I thought about it. And I'm like, and this is what was going on. The rational brain in me was like, he's right. I'm wrong. Right there, I was wrong and then burning in my stomach, pain in my chest, a headache, literally. Why? Because I don't want to admit I'm wrong. And it felt like I was literally being asked to gouge my own eye out just to turn to my son and go, you know, son, you're right, I was wrong. Have you ever felt that? I mean, come on, anywhere have you ever felt that? okay thank you it's like you just stop and go what is wrong with me like I know I'm wrong why is it so hard to go okay okay yeah you're right I'm wrong why is it hard to just lose the argument and we we have areas of our life like this in all kinds of places habits addictions compulsive behaviors and thoughts reactions to people defensiveness Self-centeredness, critical thoughts about others that they just feel so what? Natural. That's why Jesus said this. Jesus in Matthew 5.29 says, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, he's not being literal. He's really using hyperbole to kind of get your attention. And he's trying to capture this tension that we all feel, that there are things in our life that God wants to cut out that we want to get rid of, that getting rid of it feels like someone is trying to cut off our very arm off our body, and it's hard. Why is it so hard to let go of things we hate to become what we want to become? Ever wondered that? Why is it so hard? If you hate it, get rid of it. It's like, it's like you got this dorky hat on, and everyone in your ears like, I hate this hat! I hate this hat! And you're walking around, hey, what's up, how you doing? I'm doing fine, but I hate this hat all right. So, and you you move on with the day and later on, you're like, so dude, how did that thing go? Oh, well, I'm fine, but gosh, I hate this hat. And finally, I was like, take this, take the hat off. And you're like, no, I can't do it. I won't do it. And we get stuck. <laughs> and you're just like wearing this hat. And the, you know, the other person's like, well, if you, uh, you want me to tell you how ridiculous you look with that thing on. And, <laughs> It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when people tell you it looks bad. It's just like you just can't let it go and take it off. You're just stuck with this habit, this reaction, this mindset, and you know it's ugly. It Serious. <laughs> Seriously. Do you know? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, feel, I feel a bit of catharsis. Um, do you know that everyone in this room struggles just like you in this area? Do you know that every one of us has moments where we go, I did it again, I said it again, I, I felt it again, I just, why do I keep going back? I told myself I wouldn't do it, there I am, and it's back. This sin that God wants to cut out and wants us to put to death, it feels like cutting off something that is so deeply tied to us, it's hard. And so he says it's like gouging your eye out. The way we put this stuff to death because when the Holy Spirit comes into your life the power of God comes into you so that you can take it off. So that you can begin, sometimes little by little move further and further away from the domination and the control of that old nature that is no longer you and become more and more, little by little, this new person. Here's the basic step. Repenting is confessing your sin in your life. It's confessing it to God, confessing it to yourself, and confessing it to people who you trust in your life. Let me explain what confessing means. To repent and confess means calling sin what God calls sin. Sometimes that's the hardest thing. What God calls sin, you call sin. If God calls that sexually immoral, You go, it doesn't, it's so hard, God. It just feels so natural. But okay, if you call this sin, I'm going to call it sin. And we sit there and we're like, man, God, it's just so hard. I feel like I'm just cutting off a very part of myself. And God's like, I know. I know. I've felt that cut myself. I know. But my son, my daughter, this is killing you. You got to let it go. It could be in the area of our pride. It could be in the area of self-pity. It could be, like I said, these areas where there are things that we go to for comfort that we realize at a certain point in our life are addictions, and they're getting in the way of us really relying on God in a deeper way, giving ourselves in vulnerability to our loved ones in a deeper way, because rather than going to your loved one, you go to this little Compulsive, addictive behavior that makes you feel good when you're stressed, when you feel alone and rejected. And it keeps you from depending on God and His resources in your life. And cutting it out and calling it sin feels hard because if you call it sin, that means you've got to get rid of it and you're not sure you can. It's agreeing with God about what He calls sin. And saying, okay, God, if you say this is sin, then I'm going with you on this. This is sin. And number two, it means being honest about that sin to ourself. It means being honest about it with others that we trust. You see, when we keep it hidden and we want anyone to know, it grows in power. But when you bring it out and you confess it, and you say, "You know, I'm struggling with this." Hey, you know what? My mind is going there. Hey, you know what? I did this earlier today. And you come out and you confess it. It's like bringing a gremlin into the light. Let's go to the next slide. I Mirror mean, these guys. I'm a child of the '80s, so forgive me. But you remember what happened to a gremlin when you brought those little suckers into the light, man? Those little dudes, they just died. They shriveled up, and they do this rad little kind of melting thing. Great special effects. But you know, sin is just like that. When you keep it hidden, it grows stronger, using shame and rationalization to dominate us. We tell ourselves we're done with it, we're never going back, and we rationalize, we play these mind tricks on ourselves and go back to it again and again. You've got to bring it out, you've got to confess it, you've got to call it sin, and you've got to let others know, and you've got to let God know, and you've got to let yourself know, this is sin. And when you do, it begins to lose its power over your life. I wonder, I wonder, how many of us in this room have areas of our life that are hidden and nobody knows about? And the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news because it is the safety and the freedom to come out into the open and know there is no sin in your life that has the power to condemn you and ruin the life that God has created you for. That someone has overcome the power of that sin that you're afraid of to have you and to hold you and to keep you where you are. And if you come out into the open about it, it might make things more painful for a time. But in the end, you're going to be set free. And that's what the gospel gives us. That confidence that if you let this thing out, it's not going to destroy you. God's going to save you. And so you've got to not just face this stuff and be honest about it. What does Paul call sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, lust, greed, anger, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying? No, you don't just be honest about it. You turn your heart and you lift your eyes to Jesus to save you and rescue you from it. Let's go to the believing part. The next step is believe. So quick, quick. The next step is you coming back. Here we go. We're going to believe in God. Verse 1, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Right there, that phrase, set your heart and mind above, is when we take our eyes off our faults, off our failures, off our sin, off the areas of our life that are dragging us down, and we put our eyes on Jesus. Because if you just sit and focus on your faults, you're gonna drown. You're gonna drown in yourself. And that's not what God wants for you. Walking around, I'm a sinner, I'm the worst, I'm addicted, I have these problems, I'm insecure. That's not what God has for you. And we're going to see that. He has for you a new identity. You're not addicted, you are set free. You are holy. You are not rejected, you are loved. And we begin by shifting our attention to Jesus and what he has done. We lift our eyes off of where we're struggling and we begin to shift our attention to what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews twelve two says fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Renewing our faith that what Jesus has started in your life, He is going to bring to completion. No matter how many times you fail in one day, he is going to bring you through it. You know, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? Do you know what Jesus said to Peter? Peter goes, seven times? And Jesus is like, no, 77. listen, Sometimes we're stumbling and we think I'm never going to break out of this. And God's word to you is, I don't care if you stumble today 77 times, I'm going to be here and I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to pick you up every time. That's lifting our eyes to Jesus. And that's what he did on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took the power of sin in our life, that old self, to keep us and hold us in its power. If there was one area of your life that if you left this room today, you could be free from some part of your old self that you want to leave behind, what would it be? Come on, right now, just think about it. Bring it to mind. What would it be? And I want you to start to bring this to God this morning. Listen to this. Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to what? open shame. Where the enemy wants to bury you in shame, Jesus took that shame off of us, and he put it on the sin that wants to keep us down and condemn us. Because that's what we do. When that sin comes out, I suck. I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible father. I'm a terrible mother. I'm not a real follower of Jesus. I'm a pathetic person that can't break this addiction. And we beat ourselves up. And Jesus is like, no, that's done. That is done. That is not the voice of God in your life. And that is not who you listen to anymore. You are, what does he say? I'm going to jump ahead just for a second. Look at this. He says in verse 12, you are my chosen one. You are holy and you are dearly loved. And you lift your eyes to what Jesus did on the cross to forgive you of everything that could hold you back from him and the life and the new self that you were created for. That's good news. And that, when we do that, when you start to, okay, there's some sin there, and you take that second step, God, I'm putting my eyes on you. I'm going to confess it. Yeah, I blew it. But you know what, God? You forgive me, and you're going to make me a new person. You're going to make me the person I want to be, so I don't need to lose hope. When you do that, and you put your eyes on Jesus on the cross, and his resurrection for you, you're ready for the third. And that gets us to the obeying. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, there has to be some dying if we're gonna get to the rising, and that's what we're learning. That's why this series is called Raised with Christ, because we know that for Jesus to be raised, he had to die, and so do we. We don't just die once, we die daily. And that dying are these moments where we acknowledge sin in our life. We call it sin, we confess it, and something of our pride and our ego, it just dies a little more that day, that moment when you confess it. And when you start to put your trust in Jesus, your confidence in yourself to renew your own life on your own terms by your financial prowess, by your stunning good looks, by your winsome personality, it just shrivels up a little more and your trust is transferred to God's great love for you. And there's power in that love. There's power to be raised up into this new self. When we're willing to die to our life without God, the life of God rises in us. Now, notice in this verse, he says this, Therefore, as God's chosen, you don't put stuff to death and you don't repent in order for God to make you his chosen and his loved and to be holy. He says, you already are. Now, here's a a stunning thing I'm going to tell you. This might be offensive, so I want to say it as clearly as I can so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. You are already forgiven already for every sin you will ever see or find in yourself it's already done on the cross jesus took the power out of all your sin past present future tomorrow the next week it's he's taken it you are not going to f- discover anything about yourself that he doesn't already know he's already defeated it you're free and because of that he can say you already are my chosen one you're already are holy you're just learning to live your life to the rhythm of this new life that is already in you and is growing stronger and stronger every day. It's like when you get pregnant and you have that child in your womb and it's growing. It's not that full term. It's not fully do It's not ready yet. But that child is already in you. That life is in you growing and the life of God is growing in you. That identity, that true self. This is who you are. This is your real self. Repenting is not something we do once, it's something we do daily. We believe and we start to put on this new life. And it feels awkward at first, okay? It's a little bit like the dance. When I was first dancing, it felt a little weird. It didn't feel natural. When I was dancing, you should have watched me. It was the most awkward thing in the world. It's like quick, quick. It was just not, it wasn't like just flowing. It wasn't moving like a butterfly across the floor. It was like a guy with two left legs, you know? the putting on Christ can feel a little, it can feel a little dorky. You start to put on his compassion. You start to put on his kindness. And let's be honest, you feel a little dorky at times. It doesn't feel natural, right? When someone is rude to you, is it natural to be gentle back? You know, when you're in a hurry and you're tired, is it natural to be compassionate and give people your time? It's not natural. It feels a little bit like, is this really, is this me? I remember one time I pull off the side of the road because I saw these two guys early in the morning. I had just finished doing some early morning ministry. I was in La Jolla and I see these two dudes on the side of the road. And uh, I'm like, ah, oh, they're probably coming back from PJ. I don't want to pull over, but I do. This is back before I was married, back before cell phones. So like Benjamin Franklin was my next door neighbor. Yeah, it was like a super long time ago. For all These young people are like, what? No cell phone? So I pull over and I'm like, hey guys, what's going on? And they tell me their car's broken down. One dude's in the back of the car, passed out. The other guy's like, I don't know what to do. And I'm listening to them and I get this crazy obnoxious thought that intrudes in my mind like an unwanted guest. You ever get those? And this thought goes something like this give them a ride. And I go, hey, where do you guys live? He's like, we live in Orange County. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, this cannot be you, God. This, you, would never, you would never do this to me. You would not, when I'm this tired, this early in the morning, want me to do this. And I'm like, no way, God, this is not you. This is not you. And I'm thinking about it. And then as I think about who Jesus is, as I put my thoughts on him, I'm like, who is Jesus? And then <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, this is Jesus. Oh my gosh, Jesus, you're talking to me right now. And it's not like a thing you have to do to be a good person. With Jesus, it's always this invitation. Like, do you want to get in on this moment? I'm just giving you a chance. you want some of this? Because you could just miss it, but if you want, I'm going to let you in on this. And Jesus was like with a wink in his eye inviting me into this moment where I could jump in with him and put on his compassion and be a part of what he was wanting to do with these two guys. And I said, all right, all right, <laughs> here I go. I said, hey, guys, I'd love to give you a ride. And, uh, and you can, when you get home, you can call the tow truck and come get your car towed. And they're like, oh, my gosh, would you do that? So there they go, jumping into my car. Guy passed out in the back of my car, hoping he doesn't throw up. And we're driving to Orange County. We get there, and at the end, <laughs> and this guy looks at me. He's like, why did you do this? He did, he did. He asked me, why would you do this? Man? He's like, he's like, uh, what made you it just dawns on him what I've just done. And I go, look, dude, God loves you, man. And he he just told me he wanted me to give you a ride. And he's like, you know, bro, I've been thinking about going to church lately. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you guys, sometimes putting on Jesus makes you look like lame, like you're like at school, you're like, you're the prude who's like, oh, you don't do that. You're so lame. You know, you're the person that's like, what? When people are rude to you, you are kind back. You're such a pushover. You know, you put on this stuff. Look at, let's just go through the list of this stuff. Ben, come on out here. Look at this stuff. This is, tell me how natural this stuff feels. Here we go. Ready? Therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved, okay, let's stand up. Let's just do this together. Let's get the scripture up. Okay, we're gonna read this out loud, and I want you to ask yourself, how natural does this stuff feel? Clothe yourselves with, ready? Let's do it. To, out loud. Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. and patience. Yeah? Are you just... Waking up in the morning, I can't wait to, be, to show some humility. When someone's being rude to you, are you just like, oh my gosh, here it is. A chance to be gentle. I can't wait. You know what I mean? When you're in a conflict and you know you, you've done something wrong, are you, just, are you just like thrilled? Oh my gosh, this is so epic. I get to tell this person that I'm wrong. Oh, I haven't had a good, humbling moment in a week. <laughs> You know what I mean? It doesn't feel natural. But when you put it to death, even if it feels like you're cutting off something tied to you, you're allowing this old part of you that we were familiar with, we're used to, but it's not who you are. This new you, the presence of God in you, raising you up out of our pride and our fears and our... Greed out of our immorality and raising us into his purity, his holiness, his kindness. That is the raised life. And when you repent and you believe and you obey him and you put on his compassion, when you put on his forgiveness, when you put it on and obey him, you're participating in the renewal of your very life. You're being raised with him. If you go into this song, I just want to give you space to consider where in your life you need to put something to death. All right? Where in your life is there something that God wants you just to name to yourself? Maybe you've given up hope that it can change. Maybe you've, lost, you've been discouraged. And you're like, it's, nothing's going to happen. Or maybe it's something you've never had the courage to admit to yourself. And God wants you to bring it out into the open with him. And what would be the opposite of that thing? If it's like losing your temper, what would be the opposite of that? If it's a critical spirit, what would be the opposite that Christ this morning wants to clothe you with in the power of his spirit? God is raising you up and there is a glorious, a glorious future, a glorious you that is rising up within you. No one has a greater vision, a more bold and audacious vision for your life, for your identity, than God himself, your Father. And Paul's message to us this morning is for us to step into that new life, we've got to die. We've got to be willing to put some things to death in us. Every one of us got it. We've all got it. You're not alone. You're not like this, oh, I am just the worst person. No, you're not. We're all in the boat together. We're all with you. We're all in it. None of us here has it figured out. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We're a room of people who finally at some point admitted we can't do it on our own. We need God's help. That's what this is about. This is like a spiritual AA meeting right here. And we are all recovering sinners. Come on now. That's why we're here. We're all here because somewhere we had the courage to admit we don't have it all figured out. We are not a a room of holy, holy, perfected, completed people. We are people who are loved, chosen, and holy because God is giving us his new identity and image and he is stamping it on us. And when you're willing to die and just say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna just acknowledge it, that's the death moment. The moment you acknowledge something in your life that isn't right, that doesn't belong, you are beginning the process of killing it and nailing it to the cross that moment you go yeah that's wrong that's pride that is sexual immorality that is lying that is filthy language that's not funny that's vulgar and you acknowledge it you are nailing it to the cross with jesus christ and he is going to take it straight to hell where all that sin belongs and you my friend are going to go free you don't got to go down into the darkness with it, because that's where it's going to take you if you don't let Him take it off of you. You got to let Him take it. You got to let Him have it because His wrath is being poured out on sin because He hates that sin. He hates that evil in our life that diminishes our dignity and causes us to diminish the dignity of other human beings with our pride and our pettiness and our, and our, and our unwillingness to say, oh, you know, I'm wrong. You're right. I'm sorry. But you don't have, we don't have to do that. We have a power now. And it starts like this. You ready? We're going to dance with God right now. Real quick. We've got, we got a few minutes to do this. What's salsa dance with God? The first step is bring into mind that first thing that needs to be put to death. Bring it to mind right now. Just bring it to mind. What is it? If you need to start small, go ahead. Like a habit, like picking your nail. Man, I just wanted to die, God. What is it? Addiction. Negative thoughts, judgmentalism, a grudge, some bitterness, you got it? Okay, get it to mind, here we go. And repeat after me out loud. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I put you to death. Sinful nature, I put you to death. All right, let's just take a moment. Holy Spirit, come right now. Bring renewed hope that God, that habit, that thought, that old part is dying off. Maybe little by little, maybe not all overnight, but God, it is dying and give us renewed hope that we are being raised up and renewed into our new self by your power. Okay, now, what's the opposite? Is it gentleness? Is it kindness? Is it self-control? What's the opposite? Bring it to mind. And repeat after me, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I clothe myself in, and then just name it out to the Lord, I clothe myself in your compassion, say it out loud, in your mercy, I clothe myself in forgiveness, I clothe myself in your purity, in your grace, in your forgiveness, God, I clothe myself in your love, I clothe myself in your power, your authority, your confidence, your peace of mind. Listen to these words, everyone. Here's the power of God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's like that. It's like that. It's that, It's that. That's the step, and it's really that simple. It's like that. It's really that direct. And before you leave, maybe some of you have never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus so that who you truly are could be set free. Maybe you feel caged up in this part of you that is not from God and you want to be set free to be who God has made you to be. And that's you. You can just, yeah, you don't have to confess. Maybe confess means acknowledge it out loud. So here we go. Raise a hand. By raising your hand, you're saying, that's me. I need God. I want to surrender my life to you. Come on. I see you. I see you, I see you, come on, I'm looking, I'm scared, I see you guys, I see you, my friend. I see you right here, I see you, I see you in the back, I see you guys back there. I see you all the way by the door. You're not raising your hand for me. This is the way of you participating. I see you, my man with the glasses, I see you, I see you to the front. God bless your hearts. Okay, just pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus. I surrender myself to you. I surrender my sin to you. You can have them. You took them on the cross for me so that I might be raised with you into the new self, into the renewed self, and into your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just raised your hand, we got a prayer team. I got Jen All. Come on, I got a powerhouse team up here. I got Jen All. I got, look at this. We got Buzz. Look at this. We got people ready to pray. If you raise your hand before you leave, tell them why you raised your hand. Let them pray for you real quick so it's not just an emotional moment, but it can sink deep and find root in your heart. Let them pray with you and tell one person that you trust today what you declared dead in your life in the name of Jesus. One person you trust. If you've got to call them, call them. One person who can pray for you and minister God's grace to you. God bless you. I'll see you guys next week. God bless you.